It can be hard to see the challenges the people we work with are facing. Addressing these invisible struggles can make us and our companies healthier. Join Holly Robinson-Pete on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. On Monday, President Trump made an announcement on Twitter. It came in the form of a letter. Four pages addressed to the head of the World Health Organization. The president wasn't happy with the WHO's response to the coronavirus crisis, and his letter was a list of grievances capped with a threat. If the WHO didn't shape up, the U.S. would permanently stop funding it. In his tweet, the president called the letter, quote, self-explanatory. But the story of how we got to this moment is anything but. Today on the show, the fight over the World Health Organization and what it means for the pandemic response. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Friday, May 22nd. The WHO is part of the United Nations. It was created just years after the UN itself. World War II had just ended, and people realized that the world was changing, especially when it came to disease risk. It was clear that people and goods were moving around the world, and disease was moving with them. Our colleague Betsy McKay covers global health. You had diseases jumping across borders, and there was a lot being learned at the time also. I mean, a lot of science was advancing, but if it's advancing in one country, how are other countries going to benefit from it? Disease had gone global, and the thought was there should be a global organization ready to respond to it, to share new science, to set standards, and coordinate the world's fight against infectious diseases. And for more than half a century, that's what the WHO has done. It led the effort to eradicate smallpox, it is tantalizingly close to eradicating polio, and it's been crucial in fighting the ongoing Ebola outbreak in Central Africa. What exactly is the WHO's role in an outbreak? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think, you know, thanks to our movies, people think the WHO is much bigger and much more powerful than it is. I think the perception is that when there's an outbreak somewhere around the world, that there's this whole army of, like, chiseled, buff um, (laughs) epidemiologists from the WHO who descend, you know, in private planes and and say, hi, we're here on the scene. This is our rodeo and we're going to take care of it. And that's really not the way it works. Betsy says the WHO is actually a pretty small organization. It's less of a global disease-fighting army and more of a coordinator. It collects resources and expertise from its member countries and gets it to the right place. One of the WHO's main tools to fight an outbreak is its ability to declare what's called a public health emergency of international concern. It sounds like terminology. What it really allows is it raises the alert level around the world. It helps to marshal resources. But it is something that the WHO takes doesn't take lightly, it sounds like. They don't take it lightly, and it does signal to the rest of the world that the world's international public health body believes that this is a crisis that needs to be responded to rapidly. So... This winter, when the world started hearing about a mysterious pneumonia-like disease that was cropping up in China, the WHO had to decide whether this was a global health emergency. In late January, the director general of the WHO, who goes by his first name, Dr. Tedros, called a meeting of the organization's experts to make the call. 
So they met and were left at an impasse. They felt they needed more information from China to declare whether this was a global public health emergency. The meeting went on for two days, and the WHO's experts ended in a split, half in favor of the emergency declaration and half arguing that China had the situation under control. And so the WHO didn't declare an emergency. But to a lot of outside experts, it did look like an emergency. The Chinese government was stopping trains between cities and ordering some residents not to leave their homes. And the virus was cropping up in other countries, in Japan, Singapore, and South Korea. Some health experts and diplomats began to think that there was another reason that the WHO wasn't declaring an emergency. The concerns were that China had pressured the WHO into delaying declaring an emergency. That kind of remains an open question. What type of pressure, if there was pressure, what type of pressure there was? A source told The Wall Street Journal that China had pressured the WHO committee to not declare an emergency. But Dr. Tedros denied this. What is clear, though, is that China has significant leverage over the WHO. Every member state does. That's because its members fund the WHO. And the WHO has very little power to force its funders to do anything. For example, if the organization wants to investigate an outbreak, it can't just arrive in the country. It has to be invited. It's a very delicate relationship. So the WHO tends to use diplomatic tools, which are, you know, its greatest asset, to try to get cooperation from countries. They need to get in there and get the information they need. The question is, how do you do that if you don't have any stick of your own? With no real leverage against China, Dr. Tedros's best option to find out more about the outbreak was diplomacy. So after the meeting where the WHO didn't declare an emergency, Dr. Tedros hopped on a plane. Dr. Tedros went to China. He said at the time that he needed to go to China to meet with the government, try to get more information, and try to get a better handle on the situation. So he quickly got a visa, went to China, met with the president. Out of that meeting, he said he got a few things. Chinese officials briefed Dr. Tedros on the outbreak and how China was responding. And Dr. Tedros got Chinese President Xi Jinping's permission to bring a group of experts into China. And right after that meeting, the WHO made the call. The World Health Organization has declared the coronavirus outbreak a public health emergency of international concern. Dr. Tedros came back, you know, overnight flight back to Geneva and immediately called another meeting of that emergency advisory committee. They met the next day and decided to declare a global health emergency. But when Dr. Tedros came back from his trip, he also did something else, which upset a lot of people. When he came back, he did say publicly that China is, is actually setting a new standard for outbreak response. He praised China's extraordinary efforts. The speed with which China detected the outbreak, isolated the virus, sequenced the genome, and shared it with WHO and the world are very impressive and beyond words. So is China's commitment to transparency and to supporting other countries. The criticism that he and the WHO came under at the time was, why are you praising China, which has just locked down, you know, imposed a massive quarantine of 60 million people? Back then, the WHO wasn't recommending mass lockdowns. So to some health experts, Dr. Tedros's public comments seemed to undermine the WHO's own advice. 
But more importantly, many experts didn't feel that China was being all that transparent. Reporting at the time revealed that the country had downplayed the risks early on. At first, the government claimed that the virus couldn't be passed from human to human, and it tried to silence whistleblowers who said otherwise. And here was the WHO giving China praise. WHO is the leading international public health body. So if WHO is praising China, that is sending a message to China that the world is is pleased with your response and, and is with you on this. And it's not putting pressure on China. It's not putting any pressure on China to act differently. Health experts' discomfort also spoke to a more deep-seated concern about China's increasingly strong influence in public health. A global superpower helping to solve health problems sounds great, but these critics say it also has risks because it gives China leverage in geopolitics, too. I think people are just generally worried about China and China's ambitions on the world stage, and this is part of it. You know, if China is able to get its own people into the WHO, what does that portend for international disease control going forward? They're particularly worried about China's views and track record on human rights. And so there's concern about how that would play out as its influence in international disease efforts grow. But as the virus spread, the WHO's critics had bigger things to worry about than whether China was exerting too much influence. The epidemic was starting to run out of control in Iran and Italy and then the U.S. And amid all this, the WHO was playing a key role, warning nations to prepare for even further spread and sending tests and supplies to poorer countries. The WHO's critics began to quiet down. But then one very vocal critic brought the WHO back into the headlines. That's coming up. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. At the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak, it wasn't just the WHO that was praising China. They're working really hard, and I think they're doing a very professional job. They're in touch with world, the world, our world organization, CDC also. In early February, President Trump was saying that China was doing a great job. They're... Uh, extremely capable, and I think President Xi is extremely capable, and I hope that it's going to be resolved. But by March, President Trump's rhetoric shifted. But we want to look into it. World Health Organization, because they really are, uh, they called it wrong. They call it wrong. They really, by this they point, coronavirus cases were spiking in the U.S., and criticism of the administration was building. 
medical professionals were pointing to delays in testing and getting protective equipment to health workers. And increasingly, when the president and other administration officials were asked about these issues, they pointed the finger at two parties. The president began making the case publicly that China and the World Health Organization didn't do enough to stop the spread to the United States in the first place. Our colleague Andrew Astucia covers the White House. He said China, you know, hadn't done enough, had been withholding information, and the World Health Organization, by extension, had been doing the same thing and sort of deferring to China too much and not questioning their version of events. They seem to be very China-centric. That's a nice way of saying it, but they seem to be very China-centric. And they, they seem to err always on the side of China. And we fund it, you know, so I want to look into it. Yes, please. In April, that shift in rhetoric became a policy shift. Trump announced that the U.S. would freeze its funding to the WHO while his administration looked into the organization's, quote, mismanagement of the coronavirus response. And on Monday, Trump said that investigation was finished. And he tweeted a letter to Dr. Tedros detailing the administration's findings. Here's Betsy. The gist of his criticism is that the WHO basically ignored reports in December of an emerging pneumonia, an emerging new disease, and then didn't do enough in those critical early weeks in December and early January to pressure China to come clean about what was going on and what this new virus was and what was happening with it. Responding aggressively in the first few weeks is very critical, as we have sadly seen. And so that's the gist of his criticism, that the WHO did not pressure China enough and that it, in fact, accepted what China was itself reporting. For example, the letter points to a WHO tweet that repeated a claim China was making in mid-January that there was no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission. Human-to-human transmission is really the whole ballgame, right? I mean, if this wasn't transmitted from person to person, you know, we wouldn't be in the situation to begin with, right? I mean, we wouldn't be wearing masks. The virus wouldn't have spread across more than 100, almost 200 countries now. So the, the president's point here is, you know, if the U.S. was warned, if all countries were warned that this was transmitting, you know, among humans earlier, then maybe they could have done more. The WHO did say in a press conference the same day it tweeted China's claim that human-to-human transmission was possible. Trump was raising some of the same issues that health officials had raised back in January and February. But his prescription about what to do about it alarmed public health experts. In his letter Monday, Trump warned that if the WHO didn't make unspecified changes, the U.S. would permanently cut off payments to the organization payments that make up about 15% of the WHO's entire budget. And the U.S. might even pull out of the WHO altogether. In a statement this week, the WHO said it had received the president's letter and was considering it. This letter landed at the WHO on a pretty big day for the organization, when its 194 members come together for a big annual meeting, the World Health Assembly. Good afternoon. Good evening. Member countries dialed in to discuss the pandemic. And there, another major global player made a move that was pretty much the opposite of Trump's. Xi Jinping is one of the first people to speak. And he gets up and he makes a pretty impassioned plea for continued funding for the WHO and for major countries contributing, you know, a larger amount to the broader pandemic. And then he announces this $2 billion contribution. 
which is not specifically to the WHO, but it's it's to the broader fight. For the sake of boosting international cooperation against COVID-19, I would like to announce the following. China will provide two billion U.S. dollars over two years to help with COVID-19 response. The same day that the president of the United States was threatening to pull funding, China was pledging $2 billion to the coronavirus fight worldwide. It's a huge contribution. And really, more than that, it's symbolic because it's China standing up and saying, like, we're going to take a global leadership role in this fight. It's interesting because one of President Trump's concerns seems to be that China has too much influence over the WHO. But by pulling the WHO's funding... Couldn't he be creating an opening for China to have more influence? Yeah, I think he's actually given China an opportunity here to exert influence and power. You know, this is China sort of stepping into the void that's left by the United States, you know, which is at the same time threatening to pull out of the World Health Organization altogether. This is China saying, you know, we're going to step up and fill that void. So then why would Trump do it? I think there's a few reasons why he's doing it. I mean, first, he's been entirely skeptical of broad international organizations for the duration of his presidency, from the United Nations to NATO. This is sort of an extension of that. Two, I think, you know, at least his critics would say that he's trying to deflect blame from what's happening in the United States. He has come under deep, deep, deep criticism from lawmakers and public health officials. This gives him an opportunity to sort of say, you know, this isn't my fault. This goes back months to China and the World Health Organization. The White House says that the U.S. is not retreating from its global leadership role. And a White House spokesman called Beijing's $2 billion pledge a distraction from China's own coronavirus response. But President Trump's letter puts the WHO in a tough spot. This Wednesday, the organization said that it is $1.3 billion short of what it needs to fight the pandemic through the end of the year. That number is so large in part because it can't count on contributions from the U.S. But if the U.S. does pull back from the WHO, the loss will go deeper than just money. It would also lose a major player. We have a lot, a ton of expertise here. I mean, life-saving medications, vaccines are developed by U.S. companies, by the NIH. The CDC has the world's leading public health experts. And so not having a cooperative relationship with the with the U.S. is incredibly damaging to global health efforts generally and to WHO. Mm-hmm. You sort of start to devolve into a world of everybody doing their own thing. It's incredible that the mission that the WHO was set up to help solve and prevent are situations like the one that we're in right now with a pandemic. And this also happens to be the moment that the very foundation of the organization is fraying. It is an irony. You know, it's both a cause and effect, right? These battles start to emerge as things go badly. It shows the stress and the tragedy that everybody is encountering right now. That's all for today, Friday, May 22nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Kate Leinbaugh and me, Ryan Knudsen. Our show is made by Gerard Cole, Pia Gadkari, Annie Minoff, Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our show is engineered by Griffin Tanner with help from Sam Baer. Our theme music is by So Wiley. 
Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, Billy Libby, Loxley, Emma Munger, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening. We're off Monday for Memorial Day. See you on Tuesday.